Hey there, friends. Jay Revel here. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Mid-Am Crisis. I am really excited about this show. I think that you're going to enjoy the conversation we have for you today. Uh, we all know someone who has taken that great leap into becoming an entrepreneur. Uh, one of my favorite entrepreneurs in golf today is a guy named Brad Payne. Brad is the founder and CEO of the Walker Trolley Company. You've probably seen his... Uh, beautifully designed push card. If you haven't, you really need to go check that out. Uh, I first met Brad at the PGA show uh, earlier in 2020 and was just stunned at how beautiful and functional his product is. Uh, he's got some exciting things going on right now. The No Laying Up guys have invested in his company and it's only growing. The um, pandemic, although it's been bad really for our whole world, it has been good for golf and it's been particularly good for push card sales. So Brad joins the show. We talk a little bit about entrepreneurship, his home in Austin, Texas, and what the golf scene is like there, uh, amongst a bunch of other things uh, that are golf and life related as always. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over. You can hear the conversation that we had. I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, again, thanks as always for listening. Appreciate your subscription to the show. And if you're enjoying it, please do leave us a, a little note uh, on your favorite listening application. We would appreciate your review. Thanks again. Enjoy this conversation with Brad Payne of Walker Trolleys. Brad. Hey, Jay. What's uh, happening? Another day in paradise, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, just got back from a golf trip, so um happy to be back in austin but it was uh it was a pleasure and a, a yeah i saw some of your um uh photos push carting around uh greater branson area good trip yeah bunch of uh golf sickos from uh the no laying up refuge board uh, a bunch of people just kind of getting together and enjoy some good golf and you know see what see what tiger has designed and brought forth in his first public course and gotta say i was pretty impressed it, it's you know I, I would have to disagree with dj Piowski <laughs> and say that while it, it it may not be the architectural wonder of the world it was fun and you know that's all that i really want uh, that's all most people are looking for uh how did you enjoy the um uh overwhelming uh taxidermy collection out there <laughs> as a non-hunter um taxidermy doesn't really bother me that much but um you know i i, I think it was cool i mean you know like you know, I, don't, I don't i don't know i guess i don't really have a strong opinion on taxidermy <laughs> i had a <laughs> an, another friend of mine told me he had just got back from a trip out there to uh you know, big cedar lodge and all those environs and he said yeah he said it was i mean i felt like i was in a bass pro shops for three days but the golf was really good <laughs> Which, uh, you know, there's, it's, it's amazing to see the growth of sort of the, uh, modern golf resorts, uh, in the world today. And, um, there's just a lot of different flavors out there. So, uh, it's, I've been curious to hear more and more as people are kind of making that trek to, to Branson. Uh, I always, I always say Branson sort of the, the final leg of the redneck summer vacation grand slam, you know, I, when I, <laughs> When I was a kid growing up, I feel like me and my grandparents loaded up and just we went to all these obscure places throughout the southeast and the, the it all culminated with the big trip to Branson one year. Wow, that's that's yeah, how did you guys decide that you wanted to go there? <laughs> well, my my grandfather, um you know, I, I kinda think of him as one of the last great American road trippers. Uh you know, he just would take, you know, weeks to prepare this you know itinerary with you know his big atlas out unfolded on the dining room table charting the course of back roads and he's just he loves to drive he loves to you know see the the uh uncharted parts of america and uh he wanted to go to branson and we usually ended up going wherever he wanted to go and um we went through i'm talking about all kinds of middle of nowhere to get out there um, I think we might have actually tied it in. A lot of our summer trips were tied into uh, wherever the uh, 
uh, what it well, what is it now? The Corn Ferry Tour back then. I think it was still the uh, Nike Tour. Yeah, my uncle was on there for years, and uh, we traveled quite a bit. And why he was on the big tour for about four years, and so we watched a lot of those. And I think we went to Branson uh, on the back end of um, them playing in uh, what was that? Jeff, not Jefferson, not in Springfield. Bingo. Yep, that's where we were. We were in Springfield, so I think we tacked on Branson, and that was the that was the big summer trip. It's it's a really pretty place. I I can imagine the summer like Table Rock. It's it's really pretty. Like it's like big mountain. I mean, not mountains, but like very very large hills, like going down into you know with expansive you know views, and it's it's a cool place. I mean, I I I would definitely go back. Um, go back in the summertime, run a boat and like run a, run a house on the lake. It'd, it'd be yeah. It doesn't yeah. look bad. doesn't look bad. How was the, uh, how the push carts hold up, uh, uh, up and down those hills? Um, <laughs> I would say I was a very brave person to, um, to take a push cart. Payne's Valley was not that bad. It's basically 12 slightly downhill holes. And then, just this long slog up a 625-yard par 5 and then two 450-yard par 4s kind of all up this long, gradual hill. And then as long as you could get a ride from the bottom of 18 up to the top of the clubhouse, it's doable. Uh, Buffalo Ridge, not walkable. Hmm. It's, it's just it's, – it's so hilly. And it's a typical Foz where – you know, it's fun in the sense that every tee shot, I think, on the golf course is downhill. <laughs> but that doesn't mean – but not every approach shot is uphill. So it's like the, the green to tee transitions, you know, are very far and straight oh, uphill. Yeah. And so one of those type of places that, unfortunately, it's it's not a great walking golf course. I can believe that. Um you know, I'm curious. So when, when you roll up to a place like that or, or any of the other great, you know, uh, resorts or courses that you frequent, um, and you unpack this beautiful Walker trolley out of the back of the car, what kind of, I, I have to assume that turns some heads because, um, you know, the thing that I first noticed when I saw one of your trolleys in person the first time, it's just, it's just a stunning product. It looks it really stands out. It reminds me of like a classic car, you yeah. know. Um, you got to get a lot of comments, I would imagine, when you roll in. I do, especially um, like I'll remember. Like I remember the first time I ever took a prototype out. I was at um, Baylands Golf Course in Palo Alto, California, and it was a, an early version of of the trolley, kind of even brighter and shinier than the one we have now. Um, and I was walking out to the first tee and I hear this, Hey, 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 from like a hundred <laughs> yards behind me. And I was like, like, Oh crap. Was there a starter? Was I supposed to like check in with him or something? He's like, he's like, Hey, wait up, wait up, wait up. And I'm like, all right, all right, sure. What, what's up? And he's like, Oh, I'm the assistant pro here. He's like, what is that thing? He's like, that is really, really cool looking. It just looks so different. That's, I was like, Oh, it's a, it's a Walker trolley. This is a, prototype for a new push cart company he's like oh man it's like at the end of the round come in get my card we got we got a chat um further down the line i was just like from that day which was the first prototype we ever had um and i'll actually and actually <laughs> one funny thing about that round um this was i guess uh, two years ago um the trolley didn't make any <laughs> holes which was unfortunate <laughs> we had we had some technical technical difficulties that um, with the trolley and I still have a picture of us strapping it to a another trolley and pulling it back into the clubhouse um, thankfully we solved those engineering challenges very frequently thereafter but it was a very sad start to the the walker trolley <laughs> brand um, to, to basically get a tow truck from a from a competitor um, in order to get back to the clubhouse um, but yeah, just but from a look and feel perspective, we always wanted to be different. We wanted to be bright. We wanted to be shiny. We wanted to use a lot of aluminum versus plastic and showcase those pieces within 
um, within the design. But I do, I, I, I definitely get people asking, I think fewer and fewer, what's, what's really interesting is I get a lot of customers now um, that buy a trolley and they're all like, oh, I went down to Pinehurst this weekend and everybody was asking me about, you know, what, what was this? What, what is this? And, um, or I met, or I was abandoned and I had like a bunch of people come up and ask me, you know, what is that? You know, what, what kind of push card is that? And I think that's really even more satisfying. And, and I think even cooler than if somebody comes up to me is just that, um, like seeing them out or seeing somebody use one, um, that's really cool. It, it reminds me of like uh, the difference between, you know, utility and beauty, right? You know, you, you see, you know, everybody's got their, you know, couple of cars in the driveway that take you from point A to point B, um, you know, get the kids to daycare, whatever. Um, but then you see people who have these cars that they just, they just take out and drive, right? Um, maybe you're wearing gloves <laughs> to take it out. Um, that's what it makes me think of. It just makes it, it looks like the sports car of, of push carts and, you know, push carts have gotten trolleys. I, I guess we should say, uh, have, have gotten a bad rap, uh, in this country for a long time. And part of that though is they've just never really been attractive. And I just, I, you know, one of the things that kind of made sense for me, I guess I saw y'all had that great write up that was in Forbes not long ago. And I don't think I had ever realized that you had worked uh, for Apple in the past. And to me, I was like, okay, well, this is in a minimal someone who has an appreciation for design. And that's probably why he, um, you know, wanted to make a better version of something that most people just see as utilitarian. I mean, um, so I, I would, lo I'd love to know that kind of story of just, that spark of creativity that led to, Hey, I'm going to make this thing and it's going to be really pretty. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think you really kind of hit the nail on the head, especially with the Apple part. I mean, you think about like the development of the iPhone, um, Apple created something and the first couple iPhones, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, they were way ahead of its time, but, but compared to today, they sucked. I mean, like, you know, you had no app store, you had, you know, no headphones you had, you know, there were so many things that they've, they've gotten better, but what they did was they created a really beautiful product that was also a great, of great utility. So I think to your point, like where you have somebody that has like a, an old Corvette or a old sports car from the sixties, like, you know, and, and they're wearing driving gloves and, you know, it's not their everyday car or something like that. You know, that's kind of the, the beauty angle. Um, but then you have product that's, that's utility and beauty. And I think that's a lot of that is from when I worked at Apple, I, I, I never touched design and anything whatsoever. I was a business guy in a sea of engineers and designers. Um, and it's hard for that not to rub off on you. Even, even, though I joined the company after Steve had passed, there's just kind of a, a mystique there and kind of a, an ethos about how products should be designed and built. And I think it's just hard not to kind of carry that forward with what you do. And I think that's the way we kind of think about it is just let's create a beautiful product that performs incredibly well. And then, you know, that's V1 and then let's innovate, mm -hmm. let's keep innovating and let's keep making it better and better and better um, through the years to create, you know, a product that's, that's as superior as we can in the industry. You know, I, I love the way you're <clears throat> phrasing that and thinking. Um, one of the things I, I, I thought was so fascinating about the, the very old school, you know, Steve Jobs, um, standing on the stage presentations, right? Those very simple slide decks. You know, he was envisioning all sorts of ancillary, you know, new industry being created or reshaped because of the product too. And um, it allowed for people to innovate off of the product. And it also, which, and this is a very unique thing. It was not a product that was designed to meet demand. It was a product that really created new demand. You know, I, I don't think anyone ever realized they needed 
a product like that until until it was in the world. And I feel like when I see, you know, Walker Trolley, that's where I'm like, man, I I really need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that Steve Jobs, exactly like you said, got so well is like Apple never did focus groups or anything like that. I mean, they never went out and asked, you know, hey, Jay, what do you want in a cell phone? Um, I think they just figured out you know, kind of how to design a product that was, that did things that, you know, people didn't even know they needed. And um, I'm not going to compare our product to an iPhone because that's ludicrous. Um, But I think the way we think about it is, you know, let's create something we think is really cool. That's different. um, That performs differently than what's out there that, you know, whereas, like our kind of thesis on the market was that, you know, you want, like, you have a really, you know, you buy the newest driver or you belong to a, you know, a country club because you, you know, like really cool things or you or you're somebody of taste or, you know, you want new stuff because you want to perform better and you want to hit the ball farther or whatever. And I think if you think about that's that being, a way to design a push card is that you create something that, you know, is built on great design, utilizes, you know, new features and things like that. Um, I think people will be attracted to it. It's, it's kind of similar to, I mean, you're a child of the eighties, right, Jay? Oh yeah. So you, you remember strollers when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were like, like the umbrella strollers, yeah, right? Seriously. Like they had little, little hooks at the end and they fold it up in a little accordion and we all have those pictures of when we were kids and mm-hmm. that was basically that was the that was the, the only stroller that's kind of what you bought and if you think about strollers today um like you have you have young kids right oh yeah yeah one, one little one little girl she well yeah and she didn't say little anymore she'll be three in january but yes a lot of stroller time yeah so how did you think about when you were purchasing a stroller Oh my gosh. Well, mostly what I try to do is just keep my mouth shut and not, you know, gasp at the expense when my wife showed me what she wanted. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, without that aside, I mean, you can, think about can I fit a cooler in there? That was a big question. I was like, is that, that doable? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, you know, there's a, there's a tray on the bottom of many strollers, you know, <laughs> Their tray on the bottom of push cart. Yeah, I mean it's it's and it's useful. Um, it's a place you can put a cooler or you can put, you know, your sweater if it's a cool morning and it's going to warm up that afternoon, or you know, put a dozen golf balls or just other stuff that you don't that you might want to get out but you don't want to put in your golf bag. Mm-hmm. And I think when you think about like the stroller industry and the way that it's evolved, I think the push cart industry is kind of similar in some ways, and that you know, before it was just completely utilitarian, you know, it was the simplest, cheapest, easiest thing to do. And as people's tastes and preferences have grown and adapted, I think, you know, there's, there's room for innovation within it, within that industry. And that's, you know, kind of what we've, we've thought about is what, how can we make the experience of using a push cart and owning a push cart, especially on the golf course different. So tell me a little bit about, you know, so I, you know, very different scenario, but um, probably some similar tenacity. I've just started my own company a few weeks ago and, um, you know, there's a lot of moments. I feel like a little bit of a roller coaster throughout the day. You know, you have moments where you're like, you know, I totally have this. We're going to knock this out of the park. There's no way I can lose all the way to the complete panic. And I want to go hide in the corner for 30 minutes um, and cry while I figure it out. Um, what, what's that, what's that journey been like for you? Uh, it's been pretty smooth sailing. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, God, it's being an entrepreneur is a really fun roller coaster with a lot of really great highs and a lot of really tough lows. I think, especially starting a consumer products company or or selling a product 
Like I envy people that sell subscriptions just mm -hmm. because, you know, you know, you sell it and then, you know, you're going to get revenue for the next like 12 months, you know, so you, so you really just have to worry about keeping the customers happy and continuing to pay. But when you're selling like, you know, a consumer products company and you never know if one day people just stop buying your product, <laughs> like you just, you don't know. So I think that's one of those things where it's just like a roller coaster. I mean, it's just like, you know, from one day to the next, um, it's like, you know, are sales down a little bit? Are they up? Are they down? You know, and, and I'll tell you kind of from the beginning, you know, we raised the money to start the company through friends and family. And so when, you know, the five guys that were at your side at your wedding and your groomsmen, you know, all invested in your company and your parents and your in-laws and, you know, other people that are really close to you. I mean, you have this, you know, like this um, responsibility to them, mm -hmm. you know, to do the best you can and, and to do right by them. And I think that's something, you know, there's a lot of pressure in that too. I mean, I know I felt it before. Um, like I'll tell you kind of a story like, so right after we met, so we met at the PGA show in January mm -hmm. and we were kind of in the process of fundraising to pay for our first inventory run and, and our, for, and the rest of our tooling, which, um, is a generally a pretty good amount of money. And then COVID hit. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh crap. Mm -hmm. Like, like, like I, I remember calling a, a pretty successful guy here in Austin who was uh, really deep in the golf scene and just having a conversation with him. And he, you know, about, Oh, you know, we're trying to raise X amount of money. You know, would you have any interest? And this was like a week before COVID. And he was like, sure. Yeah. yeah let, let's have a conversation next week. And then, you know, the markets tanked and, COVID was now a, a reality and he was like, yeah, man, I'm sorry. Nobody's going to do anything for at least the next four or five months. Mm. It's like, well, I've got deadlines that I've got to pay money by, um, you know, by April, by May. I was like, we're, we're in trouble. And it's one of those things where that's like the lowest of the low. It's just like, what am I going to do? And that's when you kind of got to start hustling. Yeah. Like you just got to out and, Fortunately for us, um, COVID wasn't a death knell. Um, that's when pre-orders really started to take off. And so we were really able to finance a lot of the, the you know, those expenses and those capital expenses that we had through the pre-orders. And that was just amazing. Um, and it was just like from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, knowing that you're going to do this and that you have the cash to move forward and that you can build this into a business. Um, that was, you know, it was really scary, but then it was really awesome. And so I can tell you as an entrepreneur, you're going to have all kinds of times like those where it's, you know, things are really bad and, you know, you keep making another phone call, you know, uh, send another email, um, you know, just keep doing those, those little things every day. And you kind of, start to do big things and that's kind of the way i've always thought about it when you know to that talking about the covid right i mean i remember seeing some sort of article it probably was let's call it may and it was talking about the shortage of push carts and i went oh my gosh i was like brad and these guys they they must just be just losing their minds. I, I mean, it just, it's just one of those crazy breaks, I guess. And, you know, it's always weird talking about the COVID stuff because it's such a tra national tragedy, international tragedy, you know, but, but it truly has been just this, this almost godsend for golf, at least in the short term. And, you know, especially for like right where you guys were, I was like, Holy cow, they're going to just blow the roof off this thing right out the gate. I mean, I, what was when did you maybe notice that there was something brewing something different was going on so our so i actually kind of it kind of started to impact our business 
before. So our, so our products are made in Asia. Um, and so, um, and specifically they're made in China and I'm, you know, that is what it is, but our, our, our manufacturer is the, the world's largest producer of, of strollers and other things like that. They're the best at what they do. And that's why we decided to go with them. Um, but the reason why I say that is, is because the biggest holiday of the year in, in China is Chinese New Year, which happens about the last week of January, first week of February. And so we noticed that our factories were pretty much shut down for like three weeks after Chinese New Year, which they're usually shut down for about a week. And they kept kind of saying like, oh, this is, you know, there's this new virus and that's why we're all shut down. And so we kind of started noticing it then. And then they kind of got back and they kind of got it under control over there and were limiting operations and eventually kind of got to, to full operations. But we started to notice it then. I would say as far as kind of when it, we really started to notice it in April as, as for being a positive to the golf equipment industry um, and especially push carts. And I would say May, then it really started to take off all in all, like when we look back 10 years from now, we'll say, wow, that, you know, that was a really lucky break in a really horrible time. And, you know, it's just, it's awful everything that has happened outside of the golf and golf equipment industry. But, um, but we'll probably look back. I mean, if I had to say, you know, we were two years into the process of the company at that point, And, you know, it was, um, it was, you know, just fortuitous luck timing. I mean, it's just one of those things. Um, Guy Raz on how I built this was probably one of my other favorite podcasts other than yours, Jack. Uh, <laughs> it's just a great entrepreneurial podcast. And he always asks, you know, how much of your success had to do with luck versus skill. And, you know, so far I, I would say we, we've had a lot of luck. Like it's, it's just been good timing and it's, and things like that. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting um, kind of how, how that's worked. But I also remember talking to, um, some of the CEOs in the apparel industry, you know, in the apparel industry back in April when things, you know, when courses were walking only and um, clubhouses were closed and the only people there was two guys washing and, you know, and, and sterilizing the carts and, you know, the pro shop was closed. So all of those guys that presented at the PGA show in January, like they lost pretty much their whole spring line. Like, like people, you know, clubs and green grass accounts and things like that, they ordered like the spring line and they kind of pushed it to the fall or, you know, lost out on inventory. I mean, it was kind of a, it was a really tough time for those guys then, um, just with so many pro shops closed. And thankfully, you know, we've been able to socially distance and, you know, open up the operations of the clubs back, especially like the clubhouses and the pro shops and. I mean, those guys were really hurting there for a while this spring, not being able to sell any merchandise. And thankfully that's bounced back on their end as well. How, yeah. How, no. how, how was it at your club um, in Tallahassee? I mean, like what was kind of the timeline on you guys walking only and when you guys opened and when you guys closed? And I mean, do you remember? You know, we, we, I, if we closed it, we, it might've been only for a few days. We were fortunate that when the governor was issuing, um, the stay at home orders, um, I think, you know, because Florida is such a huge golf state, um, some, some very wise people that have his ear and the guy, the governor, uh, is a golfer, uh, Ron DeSantis, plays regularly and he actually met his wife at a driving range in Jacksonville, as I've been told. Um, and you know, it's one of those things where uh, I, I think about this a lot when I think about municipal courses. Um, and you still see this. I mean, you, you know, there are places in the country that have some sort of draconian, uh, regulations maybe still in place, um, that aren't letting people out, but, um, he, you know, he gets golf, 
he had someone come in his ear and tell him, let's keep it open. And I think that was a very good thing. So we never really missed a beat. Um, but some places where, where people who are the rule makers maybe don't understand, you know, the game at an intimate level, um, uh, you know, you can run into a scenario where people just think it's, you know, not worthy of keeping open, but we did great here. I mean, I, you know, it was, it was quite the blessing for our club. Um, you know, again, in a, in, I say that with all you know due respect to the to the issues people were facing, but I mean we saw just massive massive traffic go 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 up on rounds played um you know our the 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 food side of the business you know still has not fully recovered but um but the golf has been great the course has been in wonderful shape traffic's still you know uh up quite a bit. Um, we'll see how things, you know, go as we get into the winter time and, you know, we got, you know, one more week of daylight savings, but it's been a very good year. Um, lost a lot of the spring, you know, charity scrambles, but, um, those are hitting back. I mean, I, I literally just got done with a five day stretch where I played a charity scramble with a client on Thursday, had our three day member guest with my brother in town. And then had to go play in another charity scramble with a client yesterday. And I'm like, I think I need to just put the clubs down for a few days. Um, so it's like all of those things have now been crammed into like six weeks of fall. And uh, yeah, but it's, you know, it's largely been good. It's, you know, I think if you ask any of the courses around here, it's been good. But um, a lot of it depends on the model, you know. That, that's been kind of the same with a lot of the private courses here. Um is they've lost out on a lot of their spring events and spring tournaments and they've really tried to get them all in kind of this fall you know where they're having multiple member guests and they're having you know the club match play and the club championship and all of the other things they do kind of in this condensed like 10 week week run of championships i guess you might you might call it i think i think the pga tour did something like that yeah run of championships i'm telling you well i mean we got you know it's crazy to be sitting here at the last week of october we got the masters coming up you know in in two weeks you know i i there's something that i'm really curious to see that um you know the the wannabe economist in me right is looking at this and going all right you got this crazy scenario where people have been buying golf equipment like crazy they've been playing rounds are spiking all over the nation just saw the biggest third quarter and you know forever um and now you've got a masters tournament um you know what two weeks three weeks before black friday right as you're getting into the holiday season i i feel like you could have this crazy scenario where where things really explode one more time before the end of the year because you know, normally you get to April, right? And you start to hear, you know, Yanni, you know, the sounds of Yanni or whatever, uh, not Yanni, but he, um, uh, the, the, the lock, Kenny Loggins, brother or whatever it is doing the, uh, master's theme song and everybody perks up, you know, the flowers start blooming and the golf season really starts for most of the country when the masters comes on. And now you got this crazy scenario where, I feel like you could have this sort of weird, almost winter boom of golf because everybody's going to watch the masters and get all jacked up and ready to go out and play again. Um, when we'd normally be shutting down, It'd be interesting. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you got black Friday, two weeks later, cyber Monday, all of that, which is, you know, how many people are going to be wanting to get clubs for Christmas or get lessons or, you know, get a new driver or, you know, hopefully a new push cart. Um, I can't tell you how many people have been ordering push carts recently and getting them shipped to their neighbor's house. Um, <laughs> their loved ones. Um, I've had at least five or six conversations this week of, of people doing just that thing. But I, but I think you're kind of right. I mean, like the, the masters I think is going to be incredibly exciting this year. I mean, hell game day is going to be I know. on Saturday. How amazing is that? Uh, brilliant I mean, you, is what it is. <laughs> everything in 10 lifetimes that you would see Kirk Herbstreet and David Pollock and those guys picking games and probably trying to pick the Masters winner too. Like is Lee Corso going to put on like a Bryson hat or like, 
you know, like a tiger red shirt, like as his pick for the Masters winner on Sunday. Like, it's it's so cool. It it is cool. I I, I was tweeting about it earlier. It's like every time I sit there and go, man, you know, I'm just always so impressed by what the Masters has going on. Uh, The Green Jackets just always seem to have it figured out. They always seem to be setting the pace for, um, uh, you know, just – media and golf and 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 then i wake up and i see this news i'm like holy shit they've done it again you know it's just every single time you know and, and they get you know they get ridiculed for a lot of things and you know, if you think back over the past yeah probably rightfully so but um at the same time they just they do some stuff that it's just brilliant i mean really on the cutting edge and when you look at the rest of golf I mean, it ain't even close. I mean, the stuff that they do just blows everybody away. Not, and I mean, they are they are who they are because of that. You know? Yeah, I would I would love to know who's the brainchild behind it because that guy, I I'm sure I couldn't afford to put him on our marketing payroll, but I, I would valiantly no do seriously. Did, did you see but, the, I mean, the the video they put out? By the way, of it looks like it's actually Ridley doing this, but you know the. Uh, that when you go behind one T they've got the uh, yep. little, little sign there where they slide in the names of who's going off and the number for the corresponding caddy. And they did the one with <laughs> Reese Davis and Corso Herb street and uh, all the gang. And I was like, man, that, that is really good. <laughs> it, it, it was really good, especially when they probably came up with it and filmed it oh, pretty quickly, but brilliant. I, I felt bad for my boy David Pollock um, being the fifth wheel on the show and not getting headline billing. As you know, <laughs> a Georgia. Well, you know, Georgia Georgia's always coming up just a bit short, my man. So <laughs> what are you going to? <laughs> Welcome to being a Georgia sports fan. Yeah. Well, listen, my uh, my Seminoles aren't uh, aren't quite getting it done down here either. We've uh, I think we've. I think we're finally getting to the bottom of the barrel, so nowhere to go but up. Or further down. Yeah, you just <laughs> yeah true. Never know. Yeah, you, always, you always hope you're at the bottom, but sometimes you're not. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I really do think that that there's going to be this sort of kind of weird, you know, I think the, the back-to-back Masters is sort of like the um, – Maybe right when you think this this momentum is about to give out, back to back masters within you know four or five months, just that could do a lot for you. You know, if you think about that brilliance we were just commenting on, and you dump you dump that on top of what's already happening, I, I really do think it's going to have uh, an interesting effect. I'm 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 working on a uh, sequel book right now to. Uh, the nine virtues of golf. I'm really, really hoping I can have that damn thing ready to roll uh, you know, a few weeks before, before the second masters there uh, in April. Cause I feel like I can really take advantage of it. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say that I've played a lot of public rounds this summer and it played with a lot of brand new golfers um, and people that I felt like, once I kind of had talked to them and learned their story and stuff, probably should have been playing golf for, you know, five, 10 years or, or more. Um, but it really just taken up the game because there wasn't much else to do. Yeah. And, and I, I don't really care what the reason is that people decide to start playing golf. I'm just happy that people are playing golf and, you know, we hope it continues. I think the participation rate and, just growing the game in general, um, you know, it's it's the most tired cliche of all time. Grow the game, grow the game, grow the game, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, this has been a great opportunity and hopefully people keep at it and keep playing and, and, and keep doing that going forward. We are kind of going in. The only problem with this is that half the country is basically kind of shut down until March, April. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you took up the game, Boston, you're not going to be playing a lot of rounds as well oh, yeah. as a cat. Well, it, you know, I had this conversation with some of my friends at Visit Tallahassee recently, and we're, we're doing some things together on it, which I'm excited about. Um, but I'm like, hey, look, we got an opportunity here. You know, 
Florida stands to benefit from this winter more than anyone else in the country. You know, we've got some incredible places that people who have been, you know, hooked on the game, getting back in the game can come down and participate in, you know, Florida gets, you know, I think a bad rap sometimes, but if you're willing to go you know, away from the, uh, you know, the, the greater Orlando resorts, maybe, you know, or what you think of as Florida golf, there's some really cool places in the state that, you know, you can actually get on, go play and, um, and really have a great experience for, for not a whole lot of money that, that are open year round. So we'll see, hopefully uh, some other places around the state are going to take advantage of that too. But, um, but no, no PGA show this year. So that kind of hurts a bit. Uh, yeah, I, we were thinking, I, I was thinking about the PGA show um, when we got the, uh, the announcement, it was going to be virtual and, and the PGA show was fantastic for us last year. And I think it's, it's a great event. Um but I think in the time of COVID, it's just it's just impossible. Like, what were you going to yeah. do? Like, pack ten thousand people into a conference, you know, into a giant convention hall for three or four days, and then go to bars and the hotels, and it, it just would have been a disaster. Um, so we were probably going to skip it this year just because of COVID in general. Um, but now that it's it's virtual, yeah, I think there's little little reason to to do it. Yeah, no, I think you're you're dead on. Um, you know, talking about um, you know some of the the voices of Florida golf. I know you're uh, you you've gotten in bed, so to speak, with uh, the guys over at No Lane Up, right? Aren't they? Didn't you you all strike up a bit of a partnership uh, with the trolley business? Yes, we did. They uh, they recently invested in the company. Um, taking a, a small equity stake um, and it kind of was born out of the PGA show. We actually kind of got together there and um, Solly and the guys came by the booth and, you know, we're looking at the trolley and saying how much they liked it. And, you know, I was like, Oh, that's great. You know, this is cool. We'll, you know, strike up a friendship kind of moving forward. And Solly kind of mentioned, he was like, Hey, you know, we, we've been looking at, you know, kind of opportunities and kind of wanting to do something a little bit more and, you know, than just kind of be partners. And, you know, and I was like, Oh, what you have in mind? And so he, he was kind of interested in, you know, potential investment and then COVID hit and it kind of delayed us a while. Um, Cause my wife, my wife was adamant that she wanted to meet them all in person just to make sure they were good guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I think that is a that is very fair part of our due diligence on on any kind of partnership is uh, is my wife's approval and um, fortunately we got out to meet them and their wives and um, Julie's Julie's now a big no laying up fan um, she even watches some of the videos with me which is which is great um, and she, and she kind of knows them a little bit and knows a little bit about their personalities and and I you know kind of. She, she kind of thinks that's funny. So. You know, it's funny you say that. I Just the other night, I was watching, sitting on the couch in the living room, and we were watching the uh, sort of Band in 101 episode of the latest season of Tourist Sauce, which is maybe one of the best videos they I think they've ever done. I mean, I just, I mean, they, they, they crank out such wonderful content, and it's, it's just engaging and entertaining and all of it stays on brand. And, but that was, that, that was just a, a masterpiece. And my wife who, who never watches this stuff when we just was kind of hanging out and, you know, sitting on her phone and looks up and kind of got pulled in and captivated by this thing I, to the point where I was like, Hey, she might be about to, you know, insist that I go to banded dunes, you know, <laughs> didn't quite happen. But we were close. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that would have been a tough one. Um, no, I thought that episode was great. I, I, um, it, you know, it's really like, I have a, I have a 12 year old son and my, and my 12 year old son watches TV, you know, zero hours a day, but he watches YouTube and he watches, um, you know, he watches YouTube all day, every day. And it's just, those guys do such a good job of hitting and being the leaders in all of the areas of golf that, 
the traditional, you know, brands and media kind of struggle. Mm-hmm. With. I mean, you think of, like, you know, the big print magazines, the golf channel, you know, are, are good at like magazine and um, TV, but there's so many golf fans that want to be on social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter. Um, I, I wouldn't say Facebook, but I would say Instagram or Twitter, um, you know, YouTube podcasts, all these new areas of golf media that are exploding and allowing so many more voices to be heard. I mean, even this show here, you know, like you guys, I mean, you know, you have a voice and, you know, a, a perspective on how you want to kind of look at things in golf. And I think that's fantastic. And I think we, we need so much more of that because we, you know, golf for so long was just kind of dominated by the magazines and the articles that were in the magazines. And there wasn't really an outlet for kind of all of the other things around golf. And I think that's changed dramatically. And I think that's only good for golf moving forward. Um, like you think about, you know, other sports like baseball and, and football, and there's so many other places you can go to go really in depth into or get really great writing besides watching ESPN or NFL Live or something like that. And I think golf's finally starting to get that kind of ancillary. And it's probably only going to grow over the next 10, 15 years to become a much more dominant voice. In yeah. Golf. And see, and I, I agree with that on almost every point. And one of the things that, again, I, I there's a lot of, um, I don't know, pessimism out there, you know, in the world. Obviously, you, you dive into Twitter. Golf Twitter can be very pessimistic from time to time. But in general, you know, there are I, I see more people who are fervent fans of golf and more fervent golfers um, than I've ever been aware of. And, and, you know, I mean, I think they've always been out there. But um, but I do think that when you talk about, you know, again, the, the old cliche growing the game, I think that you are seeing, you know, these these new age voices who are delivering you know, direct to, you know, consumer content uh, really having a tremendous effect um, on the game. And I don't think you can disconnect the fact that there's this abundance of great content available at your fingertips with this golf boom that's happening. Because I think that one of the reasons people are coming into the game is not just, you know, obviously, yes, they have time on their hands, but because golf is having a bit of a moment uh, when it comes to content production, I think it was easier for people to be inspired to go back to the golf course, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that absolutely makes sense. Um, I mean, when you think about like golfers in general, there's, you know, there's hardcore golfers, which are very much our kind of customers, like um, Walker Trolley's type customers. And I think of the 26 million people that play golf, you know, there's two or three million that are really the hardcore. And I think expanding that hardcore getting the fringe golfers more involved on a long-term basis. I think those are, those would be great areas you know, for us to, to kind of think about going forward. And I think, and I think we will start to think about that within our company and within the media and everything else is, you know, really getting those, those fringe guys and others to be more hardcore like you and I, and, you know, most of our friends. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's well said too. So, you know, what do you see in kind of on the local level there in Austin? What's the what's the scene there look like these days? Um, you know, I see a lot from the guys at uh, the Save Muni effort, which is really cool, uh, and hopefully being successful. I saw they've got a cool, some cool Masters program coming up. You know, obviously you've got you know the whole Harvey Penick legacy with. Uh, you know, Bill, or excuse me, with Ben Crenshaw and uh, Tom Kite, and you got the match play. I mean, it just it seems like Austin's kind of you know uh, really developed as a strong you know just golf community that's that's got some serious chops. I mean, what's that scene like day to day? It does. Um, yeah, I think you know the same Muni's a, a great effort, um, being led by Ben and a lot of you know, the other 
you know, very influential people in town. I think it's, 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 it's a very difficult, tough fight. I think just in general, just kind of the interested parties and, you know, we could go on probably an entire podcast and talk about, you know, what they're trying to do, but in, you know, in essence, there's a course lions. It's been here forever, you know, since the, since the forties or so, and it has a great importance in um, the African American community and, and how they were allowed to play golf before um, the end of segregation. And it's a real jewel near downtown in the city. And it's owned by the University of Texas, the land, and it's worth a whole lot of money. And so it's, you know, the future of whether it's going to be a golf course or whether it could be a great golf course like it used to be and be restored. And, um, you know, Ben's kind of leading that effort. And then, yeah, I think professional golf is is represented here. Um, the Dell Match plays a, certainly a high-profile event. Um, Austin Country Club is an amazing, uh, amazing course. You know, I, I think Austin's an interesting place. You know, it's it's such a growing city. Um, I get used to, I mean, not that long ago, it was not a very big place. And now Austin is kind of one of the cooler cities in the U.S. where, you know, you hear all these people want to move, all these people from California and New York and, you know, all places in between. And um, from a golfing perspective, you know, we're a little bit under golfed in the like we, we've got a decent number of public courses. We've got some cool city courses that could always kind of use, you know, like any municipal course could always use kind of a facelift and, and a little bit better conditioning, but, but they're, but the bones and, and, and they're decent courses where we kind of struggle in Austin is really kind of in that mid tier private that a lot of other cities have where, you know, you're paying five, $10,000 for a pretty good country club with a pretty good golf course. And, not too far from your house. And I think that's, that's one of the areas we don't outside of kind of some of the, we do really well in the high end. We've got some great high end golf courses, private courses, got some great high end resort courses, Barton, Barton Creek um, specifically, but we really, we were a little under golfed in a couple of areas and I'm not sure if that's going to change in the future, but, um, but we're, we've got a good muni scene good high-end golf and um and so you know we'll see we'll see kind of what the future holds but i think people here are pretty passionate about golf and um there's a lot of a lot of pros that live here ben and tom and sergio and you know nick watney and other guys um that kind of you know keep the keep the focus on, on and keep the the ball rolling on kind of Austin golf and moving forward. So if, uh, if I hopped on a plane and got out there tomorrow, where's the, uh, where's the two or three places that we're going? If, uh, budget and access aren't, uh, aren't part of the requirement. Sure. I think, uh, we're definitely going to lions. You've got to see, you've got to see kind of the old historical city course. Um, I would probably take you to Riverside as well. Riverside was Austin Country Club before okay. the current Austin Club. Uh, it's an old Perry Maxwell design um, that needs a lot of work to really kind of show the Perry, or the Perry Maxwell in it. Um, Harvey Penix House is right behind the third hole. Um, that's where Ben and, and Tom learned to play the game. Uh, Austin Community College has kind of taken away a few holes um, and they kind of manage it now. It's not really a city course, but hmm. it's got some, some good bones uh, in the summertime. They keep it pretty well maintained. Greens are a little bit slow and, and a little bit, you know, they've lost some of their edges and things, but it's still a pretty fun place to be. And then I think you could kind of take your pick on the high end from Austin Country Club um, Austin Golf Club and, and Spanish Oaks are, are three really great on the high end. Austin Country Club, you know, obviously with the Dell Match play. And then Spanish Oaks is a really cool place. Bobby Weed design. Mm. Um, very, very high end. Um, beautiful golf course. Amazing greens. And then Austin Golf Club is, is Ben's place. And 
you know, very much a, a golf club and a, a pure golfing experience and um, small membership. Um, and it's kind of the, the, the premier golfers club in, in Austin. Hmm. <clears throat> That's good. And what's the, what's that Barton's uh, set up? I had a friend of mine was just out there for a wedding last weekend. And he played the uh, uh, core and Crenshaw course out there and said it, he thought it was great. Yeah, courses out there there's uh there's the core and crenshaw um which i think is kind of one of the earlier core and crenshaws that they did it's kind of subdued um not a lot of dramatic kind of features um there's the fazia there's two faz courses uh the foothills and the canyons which, which i think they were i want to say the foothills and canyons were supposed to hold the pga club pro hmm. tournament this spring which ended up because of covid and then there's another older course that's a little bit further out, uh, west of the west of the city, um, called Lakeside. That was a it was a old Arnold Palmer course that they had acquired. So there's four courses there at, at Barton Creek. Speaking, you got to resorts. Have y'all seen much uh, demand or created some you know cool partnerships in the resorts for the Walker Trolleys yet, or anywhere that people can be traveling maybe in 2021 as we're getting back out there. And see that you know, product available. Yeah, it's it's in our plans. We've we've we have some products that we're um, pretty excited about developing specifically for that type of golf. Hmm. Um, we see that market a little bit differently than we see the general consumer. Um, it's more about and, and and there'll be some changes from the Walker trolley, the consumer version of the Walker trolley, um, in that product. But it's definitely a market that we've we're, we're considering. Um, it's a very different market as well from the consumer market. You know, it's it's about bulk orders and freight and salespeople and um, calling on clubs and territories. And so it's it's a market that we're looking to enter. But I think it's it's still a you know a couple years away um, from where we're at now. I think. I think the next thing that we're really thinking about it, and this is a post COVID, um, we just launched our first custom storage accessories. So we're working with a really talented um, kid out of Georgia, um, Seth McWhorter on some of those mm. designs. Um, he, he's worked with Zach Blair, a bunch in the buck club stuff. And um, we're coming up with a, a line of those. We've, released one and we're hoping to have another dozen or so here kind of by the holidays and that's kind of first and foremost and um everybody always asks me if we're gonna have an umbrella holder so that's that's second um and foam filled tires is third uh those are the requests i get about every day um and then and then we're kind of looking at at modifications for v2 um that'll come down the line um and what we can kind of do um to innovate on, on the trolley now. And in a normal kind of non COVID year, I would say that we, we'd really be looking at the UK, um, and Ireland and Australia and expansion there. Um, but we'll kind of going to be very cautious on that just with COVID and the inability to travel and kind of go there and launch. Um, we're kind of looking, looking into 2021 for stuff like that. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. What What are the folks across the pond, you know, particularly in the UK, think about the product? I mean, I you know, obviously they're they're big on the trolley scene to begin with. I mean, do they see um, the product as something that's largely a, maybe an upgrade from what they're all used to seeing as well? Um, yeah. I, so we've got we have a few customers um, that were early adopters. Um, we don't currently ship to the UK and Ireland. Um, We'll, we'll ship to Canada, um, but it's, it's kind of prohibitively expensive um, to ship across the pond. But we did have a few early backers that, um, that absolutely love the trolley, use them at some of the, the finer courses around, in and around London and, and in Scotland. And I think, I think it'll be a big hit over there once we, once we actually get over there and, and, and start, um, start actively selling and, and having inventory located so what I just heard is that there's an opportunity to create a black market for smuggling the uh, Walker trolleys <laughs> over the pond uh, at a discount. 
Well, I mean, yeah, you, you, <laughs> I, I, I think I think the dollar's so strong these days so that wouldn't be the most uh, wouldn't be the easiest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, no good. Um, so where where are you headed next? Uh, are you taking any other trips uh, coming up soon, or uh, no? Shutting it down. Yeah, shutting it down for the rest of the year, and and just kind of focused on the holidays. It's it's a uh, it's definitely a twenty four seven job, um, getting ready for shipments and and the, and Black Friday and Cyber Monday and um developing the custom storage units and all the designs and and production of them we actually produce those here in austin um so they are a domestic product um and so kind of coordinating that and working on that and everything else we don't have much time for traveling for the rest of the year so that's kind of our focus gotcha now you know i didn't even think about asking this earlier but are you you're full-time on this now right I am. I've been full time on this for about a year and a half. Oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, I Very left cool. Apple. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, I. I probably left Apple a little bit sooner than I should have. Um, and I will say that that's always one of those tough decisions that you have as an entrepreneur. Is you know when do you actually leave your your full time job um, to go full time at your startup? And I think. That's up to everybody, um, but I think it's certainly important to have at least some kind of savings and then some um, enough revenue to be able to pay yourself some kind of salary so that you're not because there's it, it's hard enough being an entrepreneur as it is, much less you know having your family struggle or to make the mortgage or your wife mad at you or you know because. Cause you're not, you're not providing and helping enough and, and everything else. So I would say that, you know, that's, that's my last piece of advice, you know, for, for any entrepreneur out there that wants to do something, even in the golf industry or kind of any industry. Well, it's, it is good advice. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny you say that I, I probably would have, I don't know if I ever would have. I maybe maybe better to say I, I think I would have eventually worked up the courage to go out my own. I've been trying to build towards it for a while, um, but you know, thanks to COVID, I, that got accelerated dramatically. Um, but you know, it is a great, it's a great feeling, man. I mean, you wake up every day with a, I don't know, it just feels like there's a lot of promise in each day. There's a little terror, but you know, you're you you know that it's on your shoulders. And for me, it's I don't know it. it it just really, I'm, I'm, I love that feeling of knowing that it's on me to make it happen. And, um, I just, I, I really like that. And I, and I can tell from what you all, um, you know, keep producing that, 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 that runs through your veins in a major way. It, yeah, I, I would totally agree with you that it's, it's really fun waking up. Um, sometimes, I mean, you know, you usually have a plan for what you're going to get done that week or the next couple of weeks, but you know, it's really, it's really interesting when, you know, my day consists of, you know, going to home Depot to get a brush so that we can start waxing some of the canvas that we're going to use for the storage accessory. And, you know, then taking two or three trips to UPS to, to ship out you know, some of the trolleys that we have here. Um, and it's just like stuff like that. It's just like you do anything and everything just to get it, you know, just to get it to work. And, you know, that's just a, it's a very different job than, you know, my former nine to five, nine to six working in an office. I mean, you know, it's up to you. You're going to, you're going to invent Excel spreadsheets when you need to track stuff. And, you know, you got to, you got to call suppliers and figure out who's going to make something and hire people. And it's just, uh, it's a ton of fun. Um, it's completely different than anything you'll ever do. And I, and I couldn't highly recommend it. Yeah. To most people. Well, so. I'm, uh, I'm rooting for the Walker trolleys, my friend. And I'm hoping that, uh, even though we won't get to see each other at the PGA show this go round, I'm hoping that, uh, next time your paths come through Florida, if I can get my butt out to Texas, we can, uh, take them out for a push and have some fun on the golf course. That would be, that would be fantastic, buddy. I, I, I would love to, 
next time I'm in Tallahassee, I'm, I, it, I'm sure it'll probably be sometime in the next six months. So I will make sure that, that I, that we get together. And, you know, if you want to come out to the Dell next year, I think we, we may have some fun and, uh, and, um, play some golf. Um, the match play is always a good time. You don't have to twist my arm all that hard. Uh, I would love to do that. It'd be a blast. Well, Hey man, this has been great. It's uh, about that time of day where I feel like I always end up somehow ending up these podcasts right as my, uh, I'm either about to have to step out the door to get my daughter from daycare or she's literally running up to see me. So, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're at about that time, but, uh, yeah, man, I can't thank you enough, Brad, for the conversation. Uh, again, so great meeting you in person last year and I love following what you all do. You, you make just a beautiful product and, I generally believe that that you know having stylish products is a big part of how golf is going to continue to grow um, as uh, new generations are first becoming exposed to the game. You know they want to see something that looks cool, looks pretty, it looks like something they want to uh, take a swing with. And um, you know maybe you can get Matthew McConaughey or something to uh, cut you a commercial or something like he did for Lincoln and. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> some of the bourbons or whatever, but, um, I can see it. I can see him pushing one of those, man. It's that good looking of a product, but anywho, um, uh, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate the opportunity to catch up. And I look forward to seeing a lot more Walker trolleys, uh, on a golf course nearby. Thank you so much, Jay. Really appreciate it, man. And good luck to you and your new book. Uh, good luck to you and your podcast. I, I knowing you and, and, and how hard you work, I think uh, there's no doubt that they will be a success. So um, thank you so much for having me on. It, it, it has been a pleasure, and I'm happy to, happy to come back anytime. Yeah, man. My treat. All right. Well, we'll talk soon, pal. Take care, uh, buddy. Be good.